What's going on, everybody? Welcome to Wise Guys Hideaway yet again. I'm your host, Ian Barr, and tonight we're going to be talking about the infamous, and I mean, I don't really know if there's a an individual who was the mentor to a more infamous protege than this individual we're about to talk about, and I'm talking about Johnny the Fox Torrio. Now, Johnny Torrio is probably most known for his mentoring of Al Capone during the Prohibition era. He, uh, excuse me, he, I mean, he was born on January 20th, 1882. Uh, he was actually born Donato Torrio, um, you know, I mean, due to the, the heavy, you know, Sicilian-Italian, uh, dialogue to his name. Uh, it, it would eventually just be the easiest to go by something simple in American like Johnny. So that's, I'm sure that's how that happened. I'm, I mean, I'm not 100% positive, but... And uh, the reason we're talking Johnny Torrio today is because he would actually die on this day. I, I barely made it. It is almost midnight, but it is still April 16th. And uh, in 1957, on this day, at age 75, uh, good old Johnny Torrio passed away from a heart attack while he was sitting in a barber's chair, and uh, he'd later die in the hospital. But long before he'd do that, he would go down as one of the most, not only one of the most influential uh, criminals of his time, but definitely one of the sharp, just the smartest, you know, I mean, they didn't call him the Fox for nothing, you know, I mean, he was, he was very cunning, and he had a very astute mindset, and he, he knew when you had to, you know, initiate violence, and he knew when to, you know, just buy your way out of things, I mean, we're, we're gonna, I mean, we're gonna go down the rabbit hole on this guy, you guys, so, I mean, but before we do that, smoking a cigarette everybody i apologize i've uh, i've had a couple of drinks tonight so if i'm a little if i'm a little staggery i apologize but we, we're gonna have some fun here uh now before we get into that i gotta give my shout outs as always i gotta give a shout out to our thing clothing apparel gunner Limbloom, the author of to be a king volume one and two my boy scott m bernstein the author of uh, motor city mafia and the proprietor of uh the original gangster podcast which i just actually put up on my Facebook wall, the uh, episode with him and uh, Larry Mazza, shout out to Larry Mazza and uh, his book, The Life, uh, uh, Larry's the real deal, I hope to have them both on here, actually, I hope to have all three of them on here at some point eventually, you know what I mean, but other than that, I gotta give a shout out to Ronnie the Cockroach, you know, shout out Ronnie, my Irish brother, how you doing, you know, Boston Rob, James Ramirez, you know, Vincent Apra, all those guys in the groups, you know, everybody out there doing their thing, Paulie G from New York, you know, you always get a shout out from me, Paulie, and, uh, yeah, I mean, just, I mean, anybody who's just, you know, supportive, and if you're listening to the podcast, man, I mean, I really fucking appreciate it, because, I mean, I, I love doing this shit, I'm never gonna stop, I could have a thousand listeners, I could have one listener, it doesn't fucking matter to me, so, let's get into this here. Now, I'm gonna apologize right offhand for, because I, I know I'm gonna butcher this, but, born in, uh, Irsiana, known then as the, uh, Montepolicio, uh, Basilicata, which is a sort of, uh, just kind of like a subset, you know, city, village, whatever you, you prefer to call it, uh, in Southern Italy. Now, his parents, uh, Tommaso and Maria Torrio were, uh, I mean, they were, they were blue collar people. They really were. Uh, his, I mean, sadly enough, his father would die when he was only two years old. His dad was a, a railway worker and, uh, during an accident because, you know, late 1800s, I mean, OSHA's not around, you know what I'm talking about, and especially not around in Italy, so he, uh, he dies in a railway accident, and eventually, uh, Johnny's mother would move him to New York City when he was just, you know, just a baby in 1884, you know, she, she eventually remarries, and, uh, 
I couldn't find too much on his relationship with his stepfather, but I'm guessing no news is good news when it comes to a stepfather. You know what I mean? Uh, that's just that's just the way I would take it. I'm not 100% sure on that. Now, very, very young, he starts to work as, you know, a bouncer and sort of a Manhattan nightclub at the time, you know? He's sort of, he's beginning to be drawn to the street life, but I always feel like Johnny Torrio knew he was just like, just a notch smarter than the street life, but it's still, I mean, the calling of easy money during a, a very uh, low-income-fueled era I mean, there's, it, it'll get anybody, you guys, you know? So, I mean, eventually he goes from bouncing to, you know, maybe he, he does a little enforcing for, you know, somebody here in the neighborhood, somebody there in the neighborhood. And then before he even knows it, he's uh, eventually working with the Five Points Gang, which we've talked about multiple times. It was, you know, Lucky Luciano, Meyer Lansky, Vito Genovese, you know, Johnny Torrio. I mean, you name, you, you name the wise guy from the Prohibition era, and they, they probably originated in the Five Points Gang. Not all of them. I'm, don't get me wrong, I'm not speaking for all of them, but all the ones that you, your average everyday Joe would know. You know, Capone, all those guys. Most people don't even know who Torrio, you know, fucking is. But, I mean, Luciano, all those guys, I mean, that's the Five Points Gang. Now, Torrio's actually the one who sort of discovers Capone and takes him under his wing and sets him up at the Harvard Inn in Coney Island, which is uh, a little a little dive joint that's run by none other than Frankie Yale. And Frankie Yale coming to play many, many times in Torrio and Capone's life. You, I mean, you can bet your bottom dollar on that one. Now, Torrio uh, begins to mentor Capone and sort of tries to get him from his young hoodlum ways into more of a CEO, you know, thinking type businessman. Torrio really did take a shine into Capone. He was... He, he was stern with him, but he also, I mean, he looked after him, you know, I mean, like a son, really. I mean, if I'm being honest, from, from everything I've researched, like I said, I was not fucking there, so I wouldn't know. But just from everything I've researched, it uh, it does seem like Torrio genuinely cared about Capone. Uh, there's a, a fairly good portrayal of it in the show Boardwalk Empire. It's got Steve Buscemi, Stevie, uh, Stephen Graham plays Al Capone. I can't for the life of me remember who plays Johnny Torrio, and I feel like a fucking idiot because of it. But nonetheless, uh, he does a good job, but the only thing I'll say is I feel like he portrays Johnny Torrio a little more loose-hinged than everything I've ever ever read about Torrio. And Boardwalk Empires, they make it seem like Torrio is just this monster of a guy. He's got, a, he's got like, a cock eye going and shit. He's balding. He's like, whereas Torrio was very, I mean, very, like, sleek, timid looking like I mean he wasn't timid though I'm not saying that by any means but he if you look up Johnny Torrio if you get done listening to this podcast you go to Google you type in Johnny Torrio you're not gonna think that that guy was a ruthless mobster when you see his picture you'll know he is because I'm telling you here Google will tell you when you get there but I mean he just doesn't look he looks like he's somebody's uncle or grandfather or something man you know I mean that's actually how a lot of these guys end up looking too I just you know never judge a book by its cover you know I've, I've always backed that but yeah, Johnny Torrio is definitely just one of the ones that I just, like, it's so weird to see a gangster in. Uh, him and Frank Ninny both, to me, to be honest. Uh, and we'll we'll do an episode on Frank Ninny down the road. I mean, this is all Chicago we're talking here right now. So, you know, Johnny Torrio, Capone, Frank Ninny. I mean, we're talking Chicago, you know. Get you a, yeah, you already know. Now, as he begins to mentor him, he also gets an offer in 1909 to head out to Chicago, he you know he's gonna move from from Brooklyn and he's gonna head to Chicago and he's gonna work for 
what is essentially kind of like, I mean, I don't know, like his uncle second removed by marriage. I don't, I don't even really know what you consider it. Nonetheless, they were related by marriage. He's going to work for an old time Sicilian Don by the name of uh, Big Jim Calissimo. Now, Big Jim Calissimo, I mean, he had Chicago wrapped around his finger. You know what I mean? Like he'd, uh, he'd been running it since probably, you know, I wouldn't say the mid 1800s, but like, like as the 1800s began to like turn into the 1900s, Big Jim Calissimo's making moves in the streets and he's doing his thing. And by the time it's 1909, he's a, he's a real, real big fish in Chicago. And I mean, he just becomes an even bigger fish. Torrio goes out there and begins, uh, you know, running extortion rackets, loan sharking rackets, gambling dens, brothels, you name it, Torrio was into it, he was a businessman, he didn't, he never shied away from a dollar, and he never, never backdoored nobody, from what, from what I've read on him, you know what I mean, like, now, eventually, Torrio needs a little bit of help, and Capone happens to be in a little bit of trouble back in Brooklyn, so in 1919, Capone says, fuck it, he, you know, packs his family up, and they, and they, they head out to Chicago, and he sort of, Starts going under Torrio's ring, uh, wing, ring, Jesus. He starts going under Torrio's wing, uh, very heavily now. Like, in Brooklyn, it was kind of like, uh, like, you know, Al be like, oh, yeah, sure, Johnny, sure. But, like, when he got to Chicago, Al had to listen to Johnny. He didn't know Chicago. He didn't, you know, he didn't know how things worked there. He didn't, so he really took, a, an interest to Torrio, and Torrio really took a shining to Capone. It was, uh, definitely a, a tit-for-tat relationship. Now, in January of 1920, Prohibition hits, and I mean, we can go through it time and time again, that Prohibition was, A, one of the dumbest fucking things the United States government ever did. I mean, you handed these criminals millionaire status on a silver platter. I can't even be mad at them. And two, it sparked up a wave of gangland violence that, I mean... Yeah, I mean, you can't even really shake a stick at it because it's just, just the time period. Forensics aren't quite a thing. You know, you leave somebody where you find them and nobody's going to come forward and, you know, can, you know, point you out in court. And, I mean, you're good, you know. So, now, eventually, Torrio and Capone, they're running the brothels. They're, you know, they're hijacking trucks, running extortion rackets, gambling, you name it, they're doing it. They know that booze is the big money maker. I mean, they know it. Everybody at that time knew it. You didn't have to be a genius. And, uh, I mean, Torrio was probably just shy of that to understand that, you know, the fact that alcohol has been made illegal makes it that much more wanted by the public. It makes people who don't even drink regularly want to drink. Everybody loves things that are taboo. And so eventually they approach uh, Big Jim and sort of ask him for permission to open up a, a series of, you know, distilleries, speakeasies, you know, the whole nine. And, I mean, Big Jim, I mean, he had been on top for so long that, I mean, he didn't need the money. He didn't need, you know, more power. He didn't need more anything. So he tells Torrio, I think you got enough. You know, I think you guys are, you know, set up enough. Uh, you know, you should be good. Don't get greedy, yada, yada, yada. And... I mean, I mean, come on, what did you think was going to happen? So, I mean, eventually, probably against his better judgment, on May 11, 1920, uh, Torrio and Capone enlist the help of an old friend, good old Frankie Yale, to gun Big Jim Calissimo down when he shows up for what he suspected was a, a, a meeting amongst, you know, his top echelon members or his lieutenants or what have you. Now... As soon as Calissimo dies, I mean, Torrio just takes over, and Capone's right there with him. Capone's his right-hand man through all this, and 
I mean, they, they took Chicago by storm, you guys. Like, I mean, I can't, I can't stress how quick they took the South side of Chicago. I mean, I really can't like gangs try to do it every, every single day now as we speak. And there's just a, there's just too many people. And then B, it's just not, not the same as it was back then because they, I mean, within a six to eight month period, if they didn't single-handedly run the brothels, the speakeasies, the whatevers, they were taking they were taking their percentage from it, and there was just no question about that. The only ones who ever questioned them, however, were a group of Irish, Jewish, Polish, a, mi- a mixed batch of just ruthless thugs from the North Side, the North Side gang, and uh, at the very beginning, it's run by an Irish gangster named Dino Banyan. Now, Dino Banyan, he's a, he's a real hard-headed son of a bitch. He's a, I mean, he's just one of them old school Irish sons of bitches, you know what I mean? Like, he, he wanted a bigger slice of the pie, and he thought Torrio was weak. And, I mean, Torrio would, yeah, I mean, he'd give him upteen chances to, like, no, we could just, you know, there's enough to go around for you, enough to go around for us. But eventually, you know, between... Dino Banyan killing Torrio's guys and Torrio clipping Dino Banyan's guys. Somebody at the top had to go. And obviously it ain't Torrio. Uh, on November 10th, 1924, once again, Frankie Yale's enlisted by Johnny Torrio, Al Capone. And, you know, he takes a couple other individuals with him. They go to a flower shop run by Dino Banyan. Now, uh, they had sort of set up the ploy that a... A gangster had been killed, and they needed flowers for his funeral. And so Dino Banyan always did all. Excuse me, guys. Dino Banyan always did all the trimming, you know, and the shearing himself. So he's in the flower shop. He's getting the bouquets cut up. He's shearing them. Frankie Yale and you know two other you know wise guys. They walk in, and they walk up. Frankie Yale puts his hand out. You know, to shake his hand, like, I mean, like you would at any business meeting back then, because, you know, you ain't got the Rona around yet. And as soon as Dino Banyan grabs onto Frankie Yale's hand, Frankie Yale just squeezes it, pulls him in close, and the other two thugs, bat, 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 pop a couple in them, and that's all she freaking wrote. And, I mean, they left him dead in his own flower shop, and that didn't sit right with some of Dino Banyan's friends. Most of all, Jaime Weiss, who was a Polish gangster who would take control of the Northside Gang, and he was backed to take control of the Northside Gang by Vincent Drucci and uh, none other than George Bugs Moran. Now, <clears throat> the war just goes tit for tat, tit for tat. I mean, we're talking about just a five five to ten year killing spree from both sides. I mean, the, the Colombo War in the early 90s claimed, I think, you know, 14 confirmed, 30-something, you know, with, like, missing persons and what have you. But this bootleg era, you know, gangland-style slaying was, I mean, it was it was next-level shit before the next level was even here. I mean, A, you got Thompson submachine guns. You got guys standing on, you know, runner boards, you know, out of big old, you know, Ford or, you know, Cadillac V8s. You know, you got the suicide doors, and they're just spraying down every storefront. They're blowing up storefronts. I mean, they're throwing Molotovs through windows. All the the cheesy and, like, over-the-top things you see in those old gangster movies, 
they are based on reality. They're cheesing over the top because they're in old-timey gangster movies, and, I mean, we didn't have CGI yet, so... But everything they're they're perpetrating, you know, and, like, uh, uh, like George Raff and Scarface or, like, you know, any of the guys like that, like, yeah, they're being a little over the top, but, I mean, they're portraying, like, the Chicago underworld for what it was, and it was fucking grimy, you guys. It was not a... I mean, I, like, it, it would have been a fun time to live. I know I would have enjoyed myself. I know I'd have been dead by 22, at best, but... I mean, it, it like, yeah, blood definitely filled the streets of Chicago. And I mean, I mean, what does it go to show you? We're only, we're just, just shy of a hundred years from, you know, that exact time period we're talking about. And Chicago's a war zone yet again. So, I mean, Chicago will always be a gangster city though. You know what I mean? So, I mean, big shout out to Chicago, even though, uh, I don't like your hockey team, but nonetheless, now this war would eventually come to a. I won't call it a halt because Capone's going to take it all the way to the St. Valentine's Day Massacre, but it's going to it's going to come to a halt for Torrio. Uh, during January of 1925, uh, 12 days before Torrio is ambushed and uh, shot several times, the Northside gang tries to ambush Al Capone and they miss. You know, so he's kind of shaken, but like nothing's wrong with him. Just a mere 12 days later, Torrio is coming back from shopping with his wife and gets ambushed and, I mean, just gets barraged with bullets. I'm not quite sure how many times he was hit, but everything I've ever read about it says several. So, I mean, that mean, I'm guessing that means more than three, I was, I would assume. If not, they should say a couple. But everything I've ever read about it says several. So, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say he, he probably got hit, you know, four or five times. And, I mean, just, I mean, at his age at that point, Torrio says, fuck it, you know, I don't need the money. You know, I was smart. I mean, Torrio was a smart investor, you guys. Like, especially for, like, this era where, you know, guys are spending as quick as they're making it and most of them die broke. Nah, man, Torrio, Torrio didn't die broke. He, he lived an all right life, you know? So he says, you know what? Who needs it? And he decides he's going to resign and he gives up control of the Chicago underworld to a 26 year old Al Capone who, I mean, I mean, obviously that was my second episode of the St. Valentine's Day massacre and Capone will go on to lead his own legacy. But that was a really, uh, Really a big, big sign of trust as far as I'm concerned. You know, I mean, I know people didn't live to be as old back then. So 26 seems a little older than what it is now. But I mean, guys, you just knock a year off me and then you're going to tell me that I run Chicago. I mean, come the fuck on, man. I mean, that's you'd have to have a lot of faith in somebody, you know. And uh, as soon as as soon as he resigns and as soon as he hands over, you know, control of Chicago to Capone, uh, Torrio flees to Italy, you know, 1925, you know, late 1925. Boop, he's freaking gone. Now, Torrio, when he fled to Italy and he left the Chicago underworld behind, he left what is estimated uh, in 2018 currency to have been close to a billion dollars. It's literally like nine million six hundred, you know, seventy thousand. It's a, it's an outrageous. Now, it, it is as close to a billion as you're gonna get for, you know, especially from back then. I mean, come on, like he was, he was on top of his game, but he, I mean, he had stacked enough bread all the way along. He's like, I don't need it. I don't need the headaches. I don't need the stress, you know? Um, now Italy would be short lived for him though, you guys, cause in 1928 when Benito Mussolini comes in and he starts, you know, trying to eradicate the mob and he starts trying to, you know, take control of Italy, Sicily, what have you. Um, a lot of the old time mobsters feel like they got to get out. Anybody who, you know, couldn't be paid off, which was most of them at this period in time. Um, I mean, they would, they would 
lock you away forever throw away the fucking key you know are they gunning down in the street i mean this is we're talking a rugged time and we're not talking american politics you know what i mean that's a whole different podcast to explain the the sort of the reign of benito mussolini but um nonetheless so torio he i mean he flees back to the states no question now when he gets back to the states he i mean i guess old habits die hard because he can't help but sort of, you know, sift right back into at least a, a little, little bit of criminal activity, right? Just a taste. And ironically enough, he'll organize one of the biggest bootlegging rings ever, which would be known as, you know, the Big Seven. Well, I mean, which was just an East Coast powerhouse of bootleggers, you guys. He, I mean, he was organizing Lucky Luciano, Joe Adonis, you know, Longies Willman, Frank Costello, Meyer Lansky. I mean, forget about it, you guys. Like, these guys were it. And they're who, this is where Boardwalk Empires, you know, sort of takes their story from. This is when they sort of really started to push their weight around in Atlantic City. And they would even use Atlantic City in May of 1929 uh, to host a meeting that contained, you know, amongst others, you know, Torrio, Luciano, Lansky, Costello, you know, the majors. And uh, the National Crime Syndicate would be formed. I mean... It was the first time anybody, like, sort of had tried to, I don't know, how do I, how would I put it? it? It was the first time anybody ever tried to, like, you know, knock around the actual idea of organizing the street gangs and organizing crime in a, in like a whole, in a whole setting, if that makes any sense. Like, guys that always ran their families, you know, like a very tight ship. You know, I mean, there were always Borgatas. You, know, you got Marizano, you got Mazaria, you had the Irish gangs, the Jewish gangs, the, I mean, you name, but everybody stuck to their own and everybody, you know, was super, super, you know, uptight and kept away from other, and you know, you didn't like, if you were Jewish, you didn't work with Sicilians. If you were Sicilians, you didn't work with Italians. If you were Italians, you didn't work with Sicilians and nobody works with the fucking Irish or the blacks. I mean, like, so it's a very divided country. I mean, just a very divided country to begin with, but then a very divided country, even amongst people who all agree that, you know, regular everyday society is for the fucking birds. I mean, only a handful of them could see through that, you know, and it took, and it took the dawn of a new era. It really did. Cause the old mustache Pete's, you know what I mean? Like, you know, Maranzano, Maseri and all them, they couldn't see, they couldn't see past their old time prejudices and it's not their fault. It's not their fault. Like it's, I mean, they just, they had to go. And so like, I mean, you can't knock Torrio for trying to fly under the radar. You know what I mean? He didn't want to be a Luciano. He didn't want to be a Costello. He didn't want to be a Vito Genovese, you know? So you can't knock him for that. But, I mean, just like any good gangster, he he will, he will ends up doing some time, you know? Because in 1936, they end up charging him with tax evasion, which is, like, their favorite thing to get these guys on. I mean, their favorite fucking thing to get these guys on. And, I mean, he tries to appeal, he tries to appeal, he tries to appeal, but eventually he just says, fuck it. And in 1939, you know, he, he ends up sentenced to two years in prison. He does his two years and he gets out and he lives quietly and peacefully until he dies. And, you know, as I said before, he would die on, you know, this day today in 1957, you know, while he sat in a barber chair waiting on a haircut. He would have, he would have a massive heart attack, be rushed to the hospital and uh, would die at the hospital. And Torrio was so low key and flew, flew so under the radar and was so incognito that the media didn't even know that Johnny Torrio was dead until three weeks after they buried him, you guys. I mean, like, that that that's pretty impressive because when Luciano went, they knew. When Capone went, they knew. When John got, you know, I mean, so for him to, you know, have been able to pass on 
and be, you know, put in the ground by his family without, you know, the media, because don't get it twisted, even back then, there was, you know, big old fucking stupid cameras, like, with the big old, and, like, they sound like they're blowing up and shit, like, I mean, the media's always been there just hound-dogging everybody, so, I mean, I mean, that's, that's pretty impressive to fly that incognito, and not because you were hated, because there's a lot of these guys who don't get big funerals or a lot of media coverage because they're just that hated, Carmine Galante, you know what I mean, Ray Mayo's funeral wasn't big, but, like, John Torrio, he he had a lot of people come come out to pay respect, but that that was all they came out to pay. You know what I mean? You didn't have me, a media circus out there. You didn't have people, you know, they, everybody just came to pay the Fox his respect and lay him to rest. Well, that's all for us here at Wise Guys Hideaway tonight. I hope you all enjoyed it. Um, sorry if anything was, you know, a little off or my facts were a little bit. Like I said, I've been drinking a little bit. This quarantine got me, you know, feeling pent up, got that cabin fever. Um, everybody out there, man, just stay safe, you know, hug the ones you love. If, uh, if you're getting called back to work Monday, like myself, you know, go in, do your job, do it right. Take a little pride. I'm so sick of all these people bitching cause they have to work during this. It's like, I mean, I had to work for a stretch and then they did lay us off and now they're bringing us back. It's and no matter, no matter what the circumstance, if I end up having to work, like take pride in your work people, you know? But if you don't have to work and there is no reason for you to be out and you're just out because you're bored or because you're quarantined, or get, stay the fuck home. Turn on Wise Guys Hideaway. Turn on my thing by my boy Gunnar Limbloom on YouTube. Listen to the original Gangster Podcast by Scott M. Bernstein. Do whatever you got to do. Just stop spreading this fucking virus. Anyways, that's all for us here at Wise Guys Hideaway. I love you. We'll talk to you later.